I love this story so much that I'm going to tell you a story of history lesson in American revival, whatever, you know, because there was, there's been a few great awakenings, they've called it. And the very first great awakening happened before the country was even formed. And there was, I, it would, I would consider it one of the most famous, maybe the most famous American sermons ever, that it was, it, the, the, I, even the title of the sermon was grafted into culture. You probably heard it if you haven't heard the sermon, at least the words. You can get it in book form, but it was preached in, on July 8th, 1741. And to be fair, I'm going to be very fair about the sermon that, what he did. This guy preached something that started and sparked the first great awakening in America before America was even a, an officially a country. And so God did use it for amazing things. And I've been told about this story, about this sermon that this guy preached. His name is Jonathan Edwards. He's a pastor and theologian of those times. And he was probably the, he was the first American, uh, hellfire and brimstone type of preacher. Okay. Now, how, how many of us have ever been to hell? You've heard sermons, hellfire and brimstone. Some of us who grew up in the church. Um, now, because some of us are going to get nervous through the sermon. I believe in an actual hell. Some churches don't. Okay? Some churches could not believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. I don't believe personally that God sends anyone to hell. Okay? We choose not to receive God. So let's throw that out. And he does use hellfire and brimstone. Okay? Sometimes, like when I was in high school, we would go, instead of a haunted house, we'd go to a hell house. Anybody know what that is? You go there, and it's a story of a, you go to a church, it's like churches trying to tell you the story about someone's life, and, um, and then the person gets in a car accident, and then you, you, you kind of walk past that, and then there's, there's hell. There's fire, there's a devil that's got this little fancy microphone that makes him sound like he's, like, the devil. And then, and then afterwards, you got heaven, and it tells you basically the gospel story. Now, some of my friends who went there who weren't Christian, um, that scared them literally into salvation. Okay. And it worked. Okay. There's some of the, some of them are still Christians to this day. To me, I was going. Okay. But I say that because in 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a, the most famous of all of his sermons. And it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Has anybody ever heard that before that title? Most of us have not, but some of us who grew up in the church, I'm sure you heard that somewhere, okay? And again, God used that to change the nation around, okay? He started that. People in the service were verbally going, like, 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 uh, just cringing and going, what could, they were weeping, screaming. The men were screaming. The women were screaming. The children were screaming. What must we do to be saved? And he told them, and, and it worked, but, this famous sermon, he says something that I read a long time ago, and I was reminded of it this last week, something that is dangerously wrong with this sermon. And that's bold. Like, who am I to go against Jonathan Edwards, the famous pastor theologian from 1741 that sparked a revival? But it, while it sparked a revival, it created a generation of people that thought about God wrong. Okay. Now I'll say another side note. God is judge. God punishes sin. Sin separates us from God. Correct? Right? Yes. But that's only part of the story. 
you gotta read, you gotta read the rest of the book, right? You gotta flip to the other chapters and go, okay, what, where's the good news at? Because Jonathan Edwards, his main goal was to scare them so bad that they're like, I have no other choice but to say yes to Jesus. But he said this, and have you ever, how many of us are afraid of spiders? Okay. So I know you are, Lid, because you're like, kill that spider for me. How many of us are afraid of snakes? I am terrified of snakes. I'll be walking my dog, and I look down, and it's just a little gardener snake, even a little baby one, and I jump. I get that from my mom. My mom would see one on TV or in, in at a zoo in front of glass, and she would jump in your arms, literally. She did jump in your arms at their house one time when we were first dating, and and, uh, but how many of us, let's be honest, how many of us would like to take that spider and that, or that snake and dangle it over some fire and just drop it in the fire and watch them burn, right? Okay, that's evil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're like, no, I wouldn't do that to that harmless little, I probably would to a snake that's trying to bite me, right? But Jonathan Edwards, why do I, snakes, he likens God to dangling humanity over the fires of hell with a smile on his face. Glee have, has glee, and he dangles them just like a spider, and he drops them in there. And go, and he. And, 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 and in fact, I have a quote. You can read. You can literally read the sermon online. You can get the book. There's. It's a sermon, and uh, um, I want hair like that. But anyway, but it says this. He says, "The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider." Or I would put snake or some other loathsome insect over the fire. He abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. Now, that might make some people run to the altars. And to be honest, I've had people talk about certain stories in the Bible. They might even pull up the Old Testament and go, what about the God that did this? What about the God who flooded the earth? What about this and that? And, and I, and I stop and I say, I understand your concern about that, about God almost seeming like he's dangling them over the fires of hell and going, good, you deserve it, you loathsome creature there, you, you spider, you, you snake, you're, you, I, I mean, it's almost like that, there's stories, but I want to say something about the Old Testament really quick, is that throughout the Old Testament, you will be surprised maybe if you've never read the Old Testament, is you'll find God over the entire Old Testament reaching out to his people, throwing a lifeline, throwing all sorts of opportunities. And what they did for the majority of the time, not all the time, there was, there were generations of people that cried out to God. There were kings that cried out to God. There were kings that got rid of all of the, uh, false gods and everything that they did. But the majority of the people said, we don't want it. We don't want God. We don't want to serve him. We don't want to love him. And God, who is judge, I already said that, he lets them go in their their own way, but he always has thrown a lifeline. Always. Ultimately, with Jesus, he threw the ultimate lifeline. It's the most sturdy lifeline. You hold on to him, and it's not going to break. The rope is not going to break. You hold on to that. But the problem with this the results were fine. I'll give them that. Like who, again, who am I? Joel Brimmer in Kamiya, Idaho versus the great theologian pastor, Jonathan Edwards. Who am I to say that he's wrong? Listen, the results worked out. God can use anybody at any given time. Okay. I give that. And there are times where, I mean, when I was a little kid, I didn't go to church, but I remember waking up one day and going, 
I think if I die right now, I'm going to hell. I just had that thought. So I said, I started naming off all my sins. Right? Anybody else there? And then you say, and the one, and, and the few sins I can't remember, I throw them your way anyway. And then I felt, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to heaven. So, so I wasn't even a Christian. I had no, I had no reference for that, but I woke up with that idea. I thought, is this even accurate? Now we believe in hell. I've taught on hell. It's not always the most popular thing to talk about. Some churches shy away from it. Even if they believe in it, they shy away from it because some people just can't, they cannot believe that God would send anyone to hell. But I want to say a question to you. Do you think that God takes someone like you or you or any one of us and he dangles us over the fires of hell with a gleeful, it doesn't say in this quote, but he has a smile on his face and he has, it's like glee, like, yeah, no. The Bible says that he wants everyone to be saved. That any one of his children that decide to deny Christ or to go away from God and they die in their sin, it makes him, his heart broken. That's why we believe as a church that each one of us, whether you feel like an evangelist or not, you are an evangelist. Maybe not to a crowd, but to one or two people. Maybe one person. Maybe a kid that you are there to talk about the the uh, reality of who God really is. Because I don't think that this is biblically accurate. The hell, the pit of hell, sure. But he looks at you as some loathsome little, lo- loathsome little spider that dangles over the fires of hell with a smile on his face. I cannot biblically put those two together at all. In fact, I, I pray that this message would stick with you for the rest of your life. And maybe YouTube 200 years from now, I won't know, I'll be long gone, but maybe this sermon will be famous too. I don't know. Because I want the truth of who God really is to go out there and know who God really is. Now, he's judge. That's only one part of the story. That's not the end of the story. So I call this sermon, if you take taking notes, the sinners in the hands of a loving God. Okay, we're not denying sin. We're not denying the reality of sin. We're not, we're not denying the seriousness of sin. If I say, Lord, I don't want you. I want to live my own way. I want to live for my own kingdom. I die in my sin. I'll be honest with you. And I believe that we, sin separates us from God. But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. Okay. It's almost too good to be true. And I love, I love Mark. The book of Mark. I'd probably like the guy too, okay? But I like Mark because I'm discovering Jesus all over again. And it's like I fall in love with Jesus for the very first time. And that's such a great feeling because over time as a Christian, you can look at even Jesus' words and go, oh, I know that. I know that story. I know that story. And we just skim through the Bible. But I stop as I'm going through my study and I'm just reading it slowly. And then I go back through it again and I'm going, God, what are you really saying? And I read this story, and I'm going, wow, this is great. Is he a God who's mad at sinners and dangles them gladly over fires of hell? No. I see a God who came to rescue the people who are on the highway to hell, to use that reference that I've done before. If you're walking on the highway to hell, and you're going all that way, he came to the highway of hell, and he came to rescue as many people as he could. But some people are just going to say no. There's some churches 
that say, oh, well, because Jesus died on the cross, everyone's saved no matter what you do. I, we're going to deny that. We're going we're to denounce that belief now. I've been to a church, a universalist church, that everyone's saved no matter what you do. I'm going to throw that out myself biblically, okay? It, 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 you know, would I like that? Sure, my flesh would love that, but we believe that you got to receive Jesus as a gift. Allow him to transform you and renew you and change you and heal you, but you will stumble and trip over time. Over your lifetime, you're going to be like, man, I'm doing so, and then fall, right? You fall over nothing. Hurt your hand permanently, not permanently, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, um, you're doing great. All of a sudden, you fall. And either God and or someone else helps you up, cleans you off, and you keep going in your journey with God. What I love about this is God is a compassionate and loving God. He's slow to anger. How many times does the Bible say that? On top of my head, I don't know, but a lot. He's slow to anger. Someone that's dangling a, peep, a person over a fire as a hell with a smile on his face, that's the devil. Of course, the devil, it, he knows he's going in that same fire too. But that's not someone that's slow to anger. That's someone who's quick to anger. It just explodes. Oh, I'm mad, right? That's not who God is. So what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus. We're looking at Jesus from the book of Mark. And what we see is we see that Jesus sees two types of people. Okay, he sees religious people and everyone else. He sees religious people in one light, and he sees everyone else in another light. They never mix. Now, the, the word religion has been hijacked by horrible situations. In fact, the book of James even used the word religion. He says true religion is, and I won't fill in the blank, you could find it. But So religion isn't the enemy. It's those people who hijack religion and, and, um, I mean, I've had people say they'll never, ever, ever step foot in a church because of what pre a priest or a pastor did or a youth pastor did or a children's pastor did. And I go, I don't blame you. Don't throw me, don't throw me in that group. I mean, I literally said that. Okay. Because those, those priests and those pastors and those leaders and those children's ministers, all those who've done horrible things, it, it, whatever, that, that's horrible. It's horrific, but we ought to, and I'm talking to everyone here, even those who are listening online, for each one of us to say, God, maybe for those of us who are struggling, just give God another chance. Discover who he really is. That's why I'm going through the book of Mark, because I've gone through gospel. I've gone through the book of John years ago, decade ago, and, uh, I, I would desire all of us to discover who Jesus really is, and you're going to discover he's not dangling you over a fire. If we, if we end up going, be separated from God, it is not God's fault. It's because we rejected him. We didn't want to receive. We didn't want to clothe ourselves with his righteousness. We wanted to try to be righteous on our own, which you cannot do. Okay, when we go to God and we say, I'm righteous on my own, he's going to look at your your righteous clothing. He's going to go, man, that's full of holes. That's dirty. That's grimy. I can't use that. But if you clothe yourself with the righteousness of Christ, he's going to go accepted, loved. You're my child, forgiven. Come on in. And it, people say it's Peter going to let you in. I don't think so, but that would be kind of cool. Like he's at the gate and he says, come on in. Let's see your name. It's always Peter, but go ahead. I don't even know where that came from. That's pretty cool, though. That would be him. But uh, there's two types of people in today's story, literally. There's despised tax collector, 
and there's Pharisees. Now, what you need to know about tax collectors is to, these days we love our tax collectors. We reward them with, we love giving taxes. We don't care if the government squanders it and wastes it. We don't. We just go, go ahead. Give me all the money in the world, right? And we give, we give our tax collectors like fruit baskets and flowers and, and coffee cards and we love them. But back in those days, I'm telling you, it was a lot different. They despised them. They hated them. They would, as we're using the reference of dangling people like animal, like snakes and spiders over the pits of hell, we, they would go, see ya. Oh, here, give me my last dollar. Hold on right there. These guys were despised. Everybody say despised. They were dirty. They were rotten. They were cheats. They would never do that in these days, but in those days they do. They did. Okay. They don't waste your money. They spend it in good things. And there are Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Good people. They weren't Christians, but they were good. We'll call them good Christian people. Churchgoers. They memorized the New Testament, Old Testament. They, they memorized it all if they could. They didn't have the New Testament during that time. They were living it out. But they memorized it. They knew the laws of Moses. They took all the other religious laws that they had, and they even all equated it into the law of Moses. Why won't you, why won't you, Jesus, why don't you wash your hands before that meal? That's dirty. You're going to hell. They didn't quite say that, but there are all these little rituals that they were all part of. And, but they knew the Bible. And Jesus looks at one of those groups that everyone else saw the despised tax collector and went, wow, yuck. And everyone looked at the Pharisees and went, we're not worthy. We're, you're, you're holy. You're righteous. Look, I can see, I can see under your robe that you're floating. You're not even, you're, you're just kind of floating when you walk. And Jesus, he swapped the two. He looked at the despised tax collector and he said, I can redeem you. And he looks at the Pharisees who know the Bible and goes, you're in danger of hell. So I love this. So what we got to do is we got to, you know, my question is, how do you know if someone's good or bad? How do you know if just by watching someone, if they're good or bad? Tailgaters, have you ever driven in traffic or non-traffic and there's a guy right on your tail? How many of us are, ta- are the tailgaters? You can still go to heaven, I'm just saying. Okay, how about those, when, during COVID, remember the toilet paper hoarders? How many of us were the toilet paper hoarders? You want to admit that? I remember we were like, I'm going to the store. We, we actually didn't have it that bad compared to some places. Of course, I could go in the back room and just grab some toilet paper and set it aside. So maybe I was the hoarder. But we go to the store and you're like, I'm going for the last 20 rolls of toilet paper and there's nothing. But then the person goes, I've got them, right? Like, are they the bad people? Back then we would say, sure, that's, you don't need 20 of them. Look, what's the issue with you if you need 20 packages of toilet paper? Like, is there an issue or a problem, right? Maybe there is those people who steal your spot in the parking lot. There may or may not have been some, an instance when I was a kid that we were driving at the mall at Target, and we're going around and around and around and around and around, and someone in my family, not my mom, he, he would drive and drive and drive and find the first spot, and then it finally opened, and he was pulling in, and someone, Corvette or whatever it was, fast car, drove right in there. My dad could have went, oh, well, Lord bless you, Lord keep you, Lord make us find shape. But he went out, he put the van in park, 
And he went out there and started yelling. And me and my family are just like, it was the most embarrassing thing. My dad's been redeemed by Jesus, by the way. 100%. Okay? Dad, if you're watching this, I love you. But I don't know if he is or not. Look, I've been angry before too. But how about those people that take, are they, they're, so that's the two kind of people. There's good people and there's bad people. Where do you rate yourself? Where do you rate your spouse? Don't say it out loud. Where do you rate your boyfriend, girlfriend? Where do you rate your ex-wife or ex-husband? Where do you rate your business partner? Where do you rate your boss? Where do you rate your, if you're a boss, where do you rate your employees that didn't show up? Where do you rate your employees that clocked in and didn't do work? Or they said they were there and they didn't do the work? Because that happens. Where do you rate people? Where do you rate your neighbors? Let's get to Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says this. I love this. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And he taught the crowds. There's a very huge theme here of what Mark's saying. Jesus is going through a cycle. He's going teaching, healing, and delivering. Teaching, healing, and delivering. Teaching, and he's not stopping. Like, he must be tired, right? He taught the crowds as they were coming to him, and as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his, what is he sitting at? His tax collector's booth. Hiss. Horrible. And what does he say? I can't wait to dangle you over the fires of hell. No, he says to Levi, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Jesus said to him, so Levi, what did he do? He left, he got up and followed. I'm seeing a theme with all of his followers. They're abandoning posts. It's all in. They don't say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but can I still sit at my tax booth? I can't, you can't, be that way with Jesus, where I'm kind of in my old life, but I'll be okay. I'm just going to put my foot in the door with Jesus, but I kind of want to be with my old life a little bit. He's all in. Does anybody know another name for Levi? Matthew. Okay, what I love about Levi slash Matthew, I love about Matthew is if I wrote this down in my top of my notes. Matthew, the name of Matthew literally means gift of God. A tax collector. Who's, it's important that his name is Levi, by the way, and for just a moment, we'll just talk about that in just a moment. But the reason why Jesus is called Matthew is because he is a gift of God. He has the gift of God. I love it because I wouldn't look at a tax collector or despised tax collector as having the gift of God or being the gift of God. I would not think that at all. But Jesus, he sees beyond this, the rough exterior, which maybe you don't have that. Maybe you don't have the rough exterior. Maybe you're like a teddy bear all the way around. Okay, But some people have a rough exterior and have a history and have horrible things that they've done in the past. Jesus, and I'm so glad about that, that he sees, he goes right, laser focused right through that. And he sees who you really are and he goes, I want to change you. I want to get, I want you to get, I want to get rid of that rough exterior and I want to get right into the heart of the issue. Actually, Matthew, whose name is Levi, and this instance. Levi comes from the tribe of Levi. Man, that's really, really good. He's named after the Levites. Now, raise your hand if you just know on the top of your head who the Levites were. 
They were the priests. They were the religious people. They were the worship leaders. Okay? They would be, today they'd be up here, but they perform all the rituals that you had to do. Okay? They were in charge of all that. So in a sense, they were very, 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 very important when it comes to the law of Moses and it comes to the Old Testament way of theology and thinking. They were, but, but Levi, he comes from a huge biblical pedigree. He has that huge pedigree of history. His family, his ancestors, his, his, uh, all that. They had all that. They're Levites. And so they, when, when he was born, someone said, you're going to be, you're part, you're a Levite. I'm going to just call you Levi. What a very non, uh, well, maybe a traditional name, but not non-creative name. It's like me named pastor, you know, but at some point, Levi de- denounced that calling and he started cheating his own people. Now, the wonderful thing about this entire weekend, we've been talking about calling. We've been talking about God calling everybody, David. But the thing about Levi is his calling to be a Levite, which wasn't really his calling. You'll see what it is. It's to follow Jesus. But he even denounced that, and he said, I'm going to be a cheat. I'm Because, again, we know taxes are fine now. We just don't have to take care. We, it's fine. Just take, pay your taxes. But back then, they stuffed some of the money in their own pocket because what they did was they worked for the Roman government and they cheated their own family members. Levi would have gone to his own parents. He would have gone to his siblings. He would have gone to his friends. He would have gone to his enemies. He would have gone to the worker at the, at the grocery store. And he said, taxes are due. And if you needed, I'm throwing out a number, if you needed to pay 10%, and that was the legality is 10%, then he would claim to this individual, I need 13%, I need 15%, I need 17%, I need 12%, whatever. And he would take the extra and he put it in his pocket and then he would deliver the money that was from Dwayne here. He would take it and he would bring it to the enemy, the Romans. But, but, but dad, I love you, but you owe me. Right? You're not my dad, but. You know, but this is, so this is who Jesus is calling. These guys were the scum of the earth. And yet he says, follow me and be my disciple. What do you notice? He didn't just, I mean, he abandoned his post, but he didn't say, I want you to get everything right about your heart right now, but then follow me. This is a work in progress for, for Matthew. This is a work in progress for every one of the disciples because each one of them, they all have their issues, including Levi slash Matthew. So what I love about this is Jesus knows his story and yet invites him on a journey together to be his disciple. What I love that because what you're going to see in the book of Mark is he's, he's, he's asking, he's talking to multiple people, not just 12. And at some point, he's got, and not that long from the story, he's got a group of people, and he, he calls out 12 of them. And that's how he gets his 12 disciples slash 12 apostles. Okay, he's got a group of hundreds of people that follow him. He's so popular. And one of them is this, is this guy here. Not only follow me and be my follower, but I want you to be, I want you to be a leader. I want you to be one that's going to write down one of the gospels. I love that. He didn't choose the Pharisee to do it. He chose the despised tax collector. 
That's why I call this sinners in the hands of a loving God, because anyone judgmental would not choose that guy. In fact, if you're human, which I am, claim to be, there are times that we judge a book by its cover, right? And they come into this church or the, we, we, we go see them somewhere. We won't give them the time of day based on their looks, how they smell, their shirt they're wearing, how they talk. That's a big one, right? The moment I hear a cuss word, which by the way, let me just be honest, is not good. It's not, rede- it's not like, it's not beneficial. I'll just say that. Okay. But the moment we hear it from someone, ah, oh, my ears. Hold on. And then I have people all the time. Sorry, Joel. I'm like, I am not the Holy Spirit. Like, who am I? But we all get judgmental. Jesus, to me, he sees that and he goes, I see the quality of redemption that can, is through that. But the church usually is opposite. That's why I'm glad to be part of the generation that wants to change that and be more like Jesus. Right? Okay, a couple of us. Good. The rest of us, just catch up. Right? Catch up. We're good. Then he goes in verse 15, and I love, I, I, I love this. I, this. I say this a lot, but I'm not kidding. This is, this is my favorite verse of all time. I love it because how many of us want to know more, more who God really is? This verse is going to tell you everything you need to know. Did you know that? This is everything you need to know. Not he dangles spiders over fires and smiles about it. This is the complete opposite. This is why I think, in a sense, Jonathan Edwards was wrong. Would I tell him that to his face? I don't know. Because he might start preaching at me. Okay? I, how many Jonathan Edwards fans do we even have here? I'm not talking about the singer. I'm talking about the theologian. Okay? None of us are fans. Okay, good. I don't mean to offend you, but um, I'm sure he was a wonderful preacher. I, the only thing I heard was he read his sermon like this. So, whatever. Some Everybody's got their own way. But look at this, verse 15. Later, this is after he's fallen for a little bit, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now, pause. When you, Some of us know this. When you invite someone over and you actually sit down with someone, you might not be accepting everything about them, but you are inviting a relationship with them. Because today... You can cook a meal for three hours, and how quick does it take you to eat? Five minutes? At least in my fa- at least me. I'm not going to blame my family. Thanksgiving is great, but it takes a lot of work for two minutes of eating and 20 hours of napping, okay? Then 20 hours of cleaning. But this, they're inviting each other to relationship. This is not just because they're hungry, okay? He invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many, say many, Many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, there's a parenthetical statement here. I'm glad I got to say that really. I was saying, should I say that? There is a parenthetical statement right there that I love that they put there. And my guess, if I had to guess who, who wrote the book of Mark, physically it was Mark, but verbally it was probably Peter. I wasn't there, but that's what all the early church fathers said. Okay. They were closer to the time. Okay, I'm thinking this was Peter that was, he's writing this, he's going, oh yeah, by the way, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. You know the kind that I'm talking about. They're not my kind, but they're the people on the other side of the tracks. How many of us, when we were kids, we lived on the other side of the tracks? Yup, right? And, and, and you're part of that neighborhood. 
Oh, and you were in that house. Oh, and that was your dad, wasn't it? Your dad was the one that got really mad. Your mom did this. Your brother. Man, you related to him? So I love this. This is why I don't think, I don't think that God has happy face when he's throwing people in hell. I can't put the two together. Because who did Jesus hang around with? Horrible people. Horrible people. We're going to prove who the real horrible people are. The Pharisees, the religious people, church people today. They were horrific. And I'll tell you why. There's a verse that was coming up that we've read before many times, but it is embarrassing. Have you ever been embarrassed by Christians? Usually it's not for good reasons. This is a horrible, this is a sinful reason why I'd be embarrassed to be involved in the Pharisees. I really would. But we don't believe that God is just an angry God, that he loves to throw people in hell. He sees humanity who are denying him, walking away from him, not wanting to serve him, as children who have gone astray. Prodigal children. And if you, if you don't, if you can't grasp this yet, just look at the parable of the prodigal son and just read it for yourself in Luke 15 because that story illustrates who God really is. The father doesn't go, you, now as a parent, if my kid demands my money before I die, I say, fine, here you go. You can have my two dollars. That's a lot, man. Saving up for a rainy day, I guess. And he goes squanders on wild living. How many of us are going to go, yay, yeah, that's great. No, the father in that story runs up to him. I can't, I can't say this enough. Jonathan Edwards was wrong. God's loving. Again, People get nervous about this because we all are, we all have heard sermons where people say, there's no hell. God just loves us so much. He's so happy. He goes up to that scum of the earth and, and they refuse to repent and he just goes, it's okay. Come here. It's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Listen, God is judge. Sin separates us from God forever. But God threw us a lifeline because he's loving. Every, if, if Hayden does things that it's, it's like when he's a grown up, I, I heard, I heard through the grapevine that when kid grows up and moves out of the house, it's harder. Right? Anybody have kids that are out of the house? It's hard, right? That's what I've heard. You guys try to scare me out of this parenting thing. And he's gonna do things, dear God, I pray against this, but he's gonna, he's human, so he's gonna do things that's gonna go, ouch. I don't like that from him, but I'm not going to go get thee behind me, Satan. Get away from me. I never, you know, he's, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to help him any way I can to bring him back to where God has called him to be. And I'm going to love him through it. And I'm going to show him what it means to be a man of God. That's, that's my freebie for you, Hayden, just since you're just sitting there. But look at verse 16. It's pathetic. Now, as a church, if we saw some, the scum of the earth, 
that was celebrating with Jesus, wouldn't we want to celebrate? How many of us would want to celebrate? I would. We'd be throwing a party. We'd get some of those meatballs that we have left over and we'd go, let's party like it's 1999. Let's, you have a meatball? You can have a meatball. And everybody have a meatball, right? We would do that. Our salad, the salad was great too. But we would do that. But that's not what the religious people did. Remember what I said about the Pharisees a few weeks ago? What were the Pharisees doing? They had binoculars and they were watching Jesus. They were, I guarantee it. Because they weren't just always sitting like this going, okay, I'm waiting. No, they were watching from afar. Like, this is what religious people do. They're nitpicking. They watch for people to slip up and go, see? Look at verse 16. It says this, but when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, they saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why are you doing such a good job at this, this, at this ministry thing? How can we celebrate with you? No. Why? He goes, who does, who, first of all, who did he, who does he, who do they go to? Jesus? They go to the disciples. Can I say something about that? When someone goes to someone else rather than the person themselves, there's a term for it. I can't remember what it is, but they want to stir the pot and they want to discourage them from following that individual. So what they're doing is trying to get the disciples to abandon Jesus. But he says, why does he eat with such scum? Well, that's so friendly. That's Jonathan Edward type speak. Doesn't he know that this scum is going to go to hell? These people have been cheated. Jesus, you remember, remember that time when you had to pay your taxes and you got that fish and you know, you paid the taxes and then they squandered it. Remember that? That probably was the guy. And you call, and, and all these people, they cheated you, yet you fall, you allowed them to follow you. But why does he eat with such scum? How many of us that gives you good feelings in your heart? I don't be very honest. Talking about the church, capital C, over the decades and centuries, there have been periods of religious and modern-day Pharisees. Again, I've said this a long time ago, but if I ever write a book, the very first book I would write would offend people, but it would be modern-day Pharisees. I've had that title in my mind. It probably exists. They probably stole it from me, but I've had that title of that book since I was in college, but I can't quite, my ADD kicks in, my ADHD kicks in, I can't quite sit and type for three years. Um, but why does he eat with such scum? It doesn't give me goosebumps because I feel gives me goosebumps because it makes me sick. I mean, imagine you hanging out with someone and the church person comes up to you and you're excited. You're like, oh, nice, Dwayne, he's here. He's probably got coffee for me or food or ice cream or whatever. He's got, the, it's, it's great. But they come up to you and say, why does, why do you eat with such scum? I saw who showed up at your place. Do you know what they've done? Have you seen the, have you heard about their reputation? And I, I hear a lot. You go in the grocery store, it's kind of like going to a, a, a place, where do the women go get their haircut? Not Salons, thank you. Beauty, beauty well, yeah, they you know, they, or any barber, you hear everything going there, but you hear everything at the grocery store too. And I, I'm, I'm walking around aisle two, and they, I hear, did you hear what Mr. Smith, not, Mr., not Mr. Smith, not that Mr. Smith, John Smith. 
There is a Mr. Smith, so I better be careful. Not that Mr. Smith. But did you hear what Mr. John Smith did? Uh, did you hear what John Doe did? Man, his family is, it's a mess. And it's easy to go, yeah. But who's God calling us to reach out to? The nice people, the clean people, the ones that know their Bibles. The ones that when they come in here, they'll play those, they'll play on that drum set. We don't have a drummer. Wink, wink. Our drummer left a long time ago because he graduated. I mean, a long time ago. Ryan's old now. But, like, let's go out and reach the person. Let's go get the person that's going to play the drums. Let's go, let's go zero in. That's it. Because that's what we do. Reach out to the clean people. The ones that are going to be, they're going to do us good. They're going to be good to us. Not the ones that are going to make a mess around here. Not the ones that are going to bring their, 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 their issues here. Because that's hard. We, we've, over the last 20 years, we've gone home and gone, man, that was hard. Because over the last 20 years, there have been moments where it was messy because of the people that God had brought to our, throughout the week. And I said, this is not easy because they, you, they don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know, they don't know how, they, they don't, but, but God had allowed us to pour into them over time. And I go, I never want to be like this. I want to be more like Jesus. So, Verse 17 is the key verse here that we've heard multiple times. It's in every single gospel. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to what? Call not those who think they're righteous, which are the Pharisees, but those who know they're sinners, which is the scum of the earth. So who are the scum of the earth according to Jesus? The religious people. That's why they killed him. Because he looked at the bad people. He looked at the bad people. And he looked at the good people and he switched them. And religious people can't stand that. Because religious people try hard. They try hard to be good. They try hard to be perfect. They try hard to do all everything that they need to do, but they don't deal with the real stuff. See, Jesus... He doesn't see good people and bad people. He sees those who think they're good people and those who know they're bad people. Okay? In fact, Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God. And Paul said, there's no one righteous. No, not one. Well, Paul, you're having a rough day. See, Romans 3.23, we know it says this, everyone has sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. There's a perfection level that you cannot meet. I'm sorry, and I can't meet. How many of us are, we've hit the standard that God set? Do you know God's standard? Perfect. Don't yell at your parents. Don't disagree with you. Love your parents. Be obedient to them. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. We're all guilty of doing the things that God doesn't want us to do. So we're in trouble. Except for verse 24. It says, let 
Yet God, in his grace, freely, that's because he wanted, wanted to do it. He didn't have to, but he freely makes us right in his sight. He did it because he wants to, because he loves to. He didn't feel threatened. He didn't feel like he had, he didn't feel pulled that direction. He chose to make it right. If you read the Old Testament, if you learn anything from the Old Testament, you learn they tried, they worked their butt off to try to get to God. And guess what? They never quite made it. That's what's so great about Jesus, who is God. He freely makes his right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus did. So your past is wiped away. Now, for those who get nervous, because Joel, Pastor Joel's saying you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, and Jesus is going to forgive. Paul has stuff to say about that. You can read it on your own. Google it. You can find it. Okay? So, those who think they're good people, those who know they're bad people, those who think they're good people, they die in their sins. I'm so good. Man, I've got a biblical name. My name's Joel. I'm a prophet. The entire Pentecostal movement of the early 20th century was based on a verse in the book of Acts that came from the book of Joel. I'm such a holy person. No. Those who think they're good people, he says, they die in their sins. He says, look out. Then, those who know they're bad people, they can have new life. It doesn't mean that those who know they're bad people are automatically going to heaven just because that's, no. It's, they can't, God offers them new life. They don't have to die in their sin. Now, we're going to close this, but there's one verse. Because God is offering a relationship with you, a meal. Every time that God is in the scripture, there's a lot of issues with relationship and meals. Revelation 3.20, if you've ever read the Bible, you know this. He's talking to Christians. Does anybody know what their issue was, This the Laodicean church? They're lukewarm. That means that they're not sold out for God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not atheists. They're good Christian people. They have a Jesus sticker on their bumper. They have a fish on their bumper. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That's the relationship that God wants. He's talking to a, the church of Laodicea who were lost. Who were, they were really lost because they were stuck in religion. They were stuck in the middle. They were on the fence. You know, it's like, get over here or get over there. Stop flirting with Jesus. Stop flirting with religion. Choose one or the other. That's why we call this today sinners in the hands of a loving God. Because he offered a lifeline. He offered relationship. And that's why I believe with my heart that anyone that goes to hell, they don't have to. They don't have to. Grab on that lifeline. And Jesus is pulling you towards him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the book of Mark. Thank you that you're a loving God. I know you're a judge. I know I can read scripture. And I know there's some stories that I go, wow, this is crazy. But they always, you never did that without giving them some kind of lifeline. They chose to ignore the lifeline. They chose to ignore you. They chose to go in their own disobedience, and that separated them from you, and you judged sin. But, Lord, you took care of it, too, with Jesus.
He died on the cross for our sins. So today we receive your salvation. If there's anyone in this room that wants to receive Jesus, right now is the time. Just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes. I receive your spirit today. I receive your forgiveness today. I want to be free, God. I don't want the penalty of sin that's going to be attached to me. I want that to be free. And those who Jesus frees, they're free indeed. And I take that right now and I apply that to my life. And I receive the gift of Jesus today. And if that was you, you are saved. You are a Christ follower. The, the, the difference is, is not just to leave it there, but the remainder of your life. Keep serving and keep living for him. It's not you're serving him and living for him to be saved. You're living for him because he has big things planned for you. He has a calling, just like Levi had a calling. He didn't just sit there in his tax lawyer's booth and just ignore. No, he went with Jesus wherever he went. Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.